0: Welcome everyone to BAM's Radio. As we are back, and we it'll be myself, Thomas the Wizard, Watts, and William Redfish Barger. Uh, as we will be bringing you yet another episode of BAM's Radio tonight. Uh, we're very excited, uh, of course, a lot of anticipation. This is Alabama's bye week uh, before uh, they take on uh, the LSU Tigers. Uh, you know, a week from this Saturday inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, I guess it'll be the game of the century, either part two or part three, whether you, however you want to count it, because uh, for most it'll probably be part two because, uh, you know, p- the, the original sequel in the national championship game in 2011 was not good For if you're an LSU fan. If you're an Alabama fan, it was glorious. Uh, LSU did not uh, cross midfield, uh, and uh, Alabama dominated that game 21 to nothing. And, of course, uh, LSU has not beaten Alabama since – as the tide have taken, I believe eight in a row over the Bayou Bengals since that time, and really gotten inside their heads. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. I know Thomas Watts has been breaking down a lot of the coverage, uh, you know, and taking a, a deep look into LSU. Williams going to have some outstanding opinions, but I wanted to uh, you know bring in my cohorts. At first, of course, Thomas the Wizard Watts is he's the the wizard behind the curtain. He does a great job. Uh, in the port city of mobile producing the show and then william redfish barger from 89 to 93 a member of the alabama crimson tide a national champion in 1992 and someone that's seen how uh, played in this rivalry and seen a lot of games between alabama and the lsu tigers first of all thomas uh, how are you doing tonight sir
1: Pretty good, Drew. I have to admit, I've left my computer models and my other insanity to the wayside to do the show, but I'm very, very excited about this matchup in a couple of weeks. So that's probably all I'm going to be doing for the next 10 days or so.
0: <laughs> there you go. And then, William, it's always good to speak with you. Uh, I know uh, you're excited about this matchup. Uh, how are you doing tonight, man?
2: I'm doing good, Drew. Just uh, driving in the rain.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been raining a lot in the state of Alabama in the last few days, but it's been needed. Uh, certainly uh, it's supposed to get out of here hopefully by Friday uh, for the last uh, week of the regular season of high school football. And then the playoffs end up, uh, you know, going uh, getting cranked up. But, William, I know uh, it's going to be interesting going forward. Alabama, of course, uh, you know, whitewashed Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is not a very good football team. We all know that. Mac Jones, as we talked about uh, in our last episode, did one whale of a job. Uh, you know, this uh, against the Hogs and really dissected them, uh, you know, and, and really played at a high level, uh, 18 to 22, 235 yards, three touchdowns. And I think it. it, it if Tua Tungvaluas shouldn't be able to play, and we all believe he will. I mean, he was back out at practice today. I know – the media made a big deal out of him not being in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, visible during the viewing period. But if anybody thought Nick Saban was going to trot him out there during the viewing period, I mean, come on. Yes, he said he'd be back out to practice on Wednesday, but he didn't say that the media would get a look at him. He's not going to allow that as they have him recovering from his injury. Uh, but I think uh, Mac Jones' performance probably calmed some nerves down. I mean, I certainly was impressed uh, with the redshirt sophomore and the way he played for the first time, even though it was against an opponent that we know is not very good?
2: No, no. it's uh, that, that was apparent early on, and, you know, it, it never let up. Um, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian deserves a, a big round of applause for, you know, getting Matt comfortable coming up with a plan that he could execute at a high level. Um, you know, I, I don't think his stats really, you know, indicate just how well he actually was in command of that offense. You know, he had a couple misfires on some deep balls in the first half. But, uh, you know, if you, if you hit the rewind button, I was trying to calm some of the nervous Nancys down post-Tennessee last week. And, and, yep. You know, trying to explain the – you'll see a totally different quarterback, a totally different player versus Arkansas after he gets all the first-team reps – you know, throughout the course of practice last week. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it wasn't a surprise to me. I think, you know, Max done a really good job. Um, you know, had some ups and downs. You know, I've seen him look just like he looked Saturday night, uh, in quite a few scrimmages and, you know, gone back a week later and seen him look awful. Um, you know, I thought I was seeing the resurrection of Blake Barnett a few times. He he threw so many interceptions, but, um, you know, when, when it mattered, you know, he delivered. And, uh, you know, I thought the whole offense, you know, albeit against a crappy team, but they performed at a high level. Still some good things going on within the offensive line. Um, obviously, the, the running backs keep getting better and better. And, and uh, you know, I, I guess I might be, you know, call me a bad Alabama fan. I may be one, but I, I might be the only person in the state of Alabama that's looking forward to not seeing Miller Forrest on the field versus LSU, so um, you know, I, I thought it was a great win against Arkansas I, I turned it off at halftime and started watching the movie, I was so bored uh, it just, you know I've seen better competition um, you know, when Alabama goes you know, ones versus three in a scrimmage and um, you know, I think you're seeing that uh, you know, maybe uh, Morris maxed his uh, level as a head coach when he, when he was at SMU Um, Yeah, that's a tough place to win. It's it's very similar on a smaller scale to Tennessee. I mean, you've got to be able to recruit um, the surrounding states because there's not enough, you know, home state talent to to supply that program on an annual basis. But um, I am – I'm really looking forward to the LSU matchup. Um, I think you saw Kevin Steele come up with a great, great defensive game plan uh, last Saturday for – LSU's offense, and, you know, his his offense just kept hanging that defense out to dry with three and outs. They weren't able to extend a lot of drives, and, you know, I remember um, walking to the kitchen to uh, get something at one of the, as they were going to commercial break, and when I heard Danielson say in the second half that um, Auburn's defense was on pace. I don't know what the final play total was, but he said at one point they were on pace to being out on the field for 90-plus plays. I said, man, this this isn't going to end well. Um, and, you know, Auburn made a nice little uh, effort there in the waning minutes to have a chance to win the football game. But You know, they just, you know, at this stage in the game, uh, you know, I'm not on the board of trustees at Auburn, so I'm not in a position to make that decision. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be calling – I'd be blowing Bill Clark's phone up at UAB every day asking what it'll take. I mean, I think you've got your your next head coach an hour and a half up the road. I mean, his record at UAB is just off the charts, incredible with what he's been able to do with that program. I mean, he's, he's won at every level you know, that he's been at, knows the state knows the surrounding areas. He has all the relationships with the high school coaches. Um, You know, if you want the right fit for that job, uh, and a guy that actually uh, is a really good football coach, obviously he's a defensive-minded guy with his background, but um, I think he knows how to pair the right offense with what he wants to do on the other side of the ball. But if I was Jimmy Rain or or one of those guys, that's that's who, I'd already be blowing it up because I I just – I just think they're going to lose to Auburn and Alabama, and that 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 enough is going to be enough. You just can't lose year in and year out to your three biggest rivals the way that they have since he's been there in 2013, and keep your
0: job. Not with the kind of money that they're paying him. Yeah, it's a uh, well said. And uh, again, uh, Alabama, you know, dispatched of Arkansas, 48 to seven. It was 48 to nothing with 12 minutes and 38 seconds left in the in the third quarter when William, as he said, uh, just decided to watch a movie. Uh, it was – Arkansas is one of the four worst teams I've ever seen in the SEC. They're probably the worst SEC team I've ever seen inside Bryant-Denny Stadium uh, that I've seen Alabama play because, again, Alabama sat a lot of starters. I mean, they <laughs> – Jared Maiden didn't play in this game. They took Evan Neal out after one series. We saw Emil Ekior. We'll talk about that later at left guard. Uh, you know, we we saw, uh, as you said, Miller Forstall went out after a couple catches. He's got a fractured voice box, had to have surgery, so he's out for the rest of the regular season. Really weird injury. The one thing that terrifies me about that is having, uh, you know, major Tennyson on the field uh, even more because <laughs> that, that's, that's my whipping boy that I don't like. I, I'm all for, for let's put Chris Owens out there, let's put Kendall Randolph, let's get physical on the edges and – let the wide receivers and the backs do the damage as receivers. Every now, now if you get around the, in the red zone, they'll probably, there's a good chance that Kendall Randolph might run a pattern, and be uncovered. Hell, I, I've never seen him catch it. Hopefully, he would. But again, I just I think overall you're at least going to be more physical on the edges, blocking, and uh, you know uh, Owens is now number 84, Randolph's 85. I'm all for that. And William, the one thing I did like about in that Arkansas game, they worked on it. They got in, and we talked to. Uh, I was able to talk to uh, after the game. Jedrick Wills about this. They did a lot of two tight ends with those guys in the in the red zone, and they were able to mash Arkansas and run the ball. And as you pointed out, Arkansas actually came in with a decent run defense. So I thought Alabama's offensive line in the running game took another step forward.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think they've gotten progressively better. Um, you know, as the season's um, gone gone deeper into the schedule, um, you know they finally got the best starting five out there. I know, you know Neil had to. Uh, take it to the bench early um, with you know if that growing injury that he's got. Um, but you know I, I think you know they've got a lot of different guys that they could plug and play at, at uh, the guard positions if need be. and um, you know, I, I just thought it was uh, you know another well designed game plan by Sarkeesian. Uh It was well executed by the offense, and uh, you know in 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 different, phases. I mean, I thought the defense took a step forward. You know, you, you still have to say, well, you know, if they had a, a competent quarterback and maybe one decent wide receiver, um, there might have been some passes completed. Um, but, you know, you, you're starting to see 33 and 24, you know, kind of get into a group. I guess that was my biggest complaint defensively. It's I, I've seen it you know, in flashes throughout the whole year. I guess the first time I noticed it that bothered me was versus South Carolina. But I don't really understand uh, the concept of taking your second-best pass rusher in Anthony Jennings, um, who might very well be the most complete player in the front seven um, when you look at all the things that he raised to the table. But, you know, over and over again, dropping that guy into zone coverage – And, you know, if there's one skill set that the guy doesn't have that he's proven over the last couple years, he's not real good, doesn't have really good hands. Um, That that might be why he ended up at Jack Linebacker, um, because the guy can't catch a cold. But, you know, I I don't understand that whole concept of principle, but nobody's paying me a million and a half dollars a year to make that call. Um, But, you know, I I really like – Physicality, and granted, they weren't very good wide receivers, but I like the physicality that you're starting to see from Surtain and Diggs. You know, they they uh, get physical with their guys. You know, they're going to get some interference calls, but I'll take that. Um, I really like the way those two guys are playing and mashing their guys and making them earn all the catches. Um, so both both of them get turnovers, and I think you'll see that continue, um, especially if. 24 and 33 can continue to do their part with getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, so, you know, you're starting to see some positive, you know, baby steps out of the defense. I do like, um, you know, what Golding's starting to do with the inside linebackers. You're starting to see them, you know, play, um, you know, bedding more and more. Uh, I think, you know, Cahoe probably before the injury. Um you know, he, he'll probably play on special teams versus LSU. I don't know how you know, much more he'll be able to do with that hand injury but um, you know, I like getting those guys in there and getting you know Lee and Harris uh, you know a chance to recruit on the sidelines. You know I think they're probably maxed out to a certain extent on the middle side of things but um, you know you know again I, for, for a second week in a row, you know the like guess last week the big head scratcher, um, you know, for me was uh, you know why would you trot uh, Riker out there with a with a pulled hip flexor and ask him to punt when well, you've got a guy on the sideline that can average forty seven and a half yards punting in the SEC competition? So uh, that was the bright spot to me on special teams was uh, you know seeing uh, guy, what's his name Perrine?
0: Yes, Ty Piran. Ty Piran.
2: Piran know, being able to keep going out there and keep that momentum going, punt the football that he's got, I think that's got a chance, you know, by the end of the year to be a nice little story. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was a, you know the first half that I watched, you know, very pleased with what I saw from the team overall as a whole.
0: No question. And I was going to bring Thomas into the conversation to talk about uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who I know there was a lot of Alabama fans that weren't enamored with the hire when he came back, but they were – still thinking about the national championship game in 2016, which really wasn't on him. That was a difficult situation to be in. I think he's done a really good job myself each and every week uh, with these game plans, and I thought he did a good job with Mac. He went back to some of the 2016 things that they used to do to get Jalen in a rhythm, which, of course, was attack the edges and put uh, pressure on them, get some high comp- percentage completions, like with those uh, speed sweeps, which I call the Lane Kiffin that he – that uh, They, they look their runs, but they, they go down as passes. But, Thomas, uh, I know you wanted to kind of talk about and delve into the performance of Sarkeesian.
1: Well, certainly. And honestly, for me, it's not just the Arkansas game. It's been the entire season. Even with Miller-Forestall when he was available, the blocking coming out of the tight end position hasn't been very good and that is translated into some struggles with outside running. Traditional outside running, you know, snap ball, give to what, give to running back, let running back run towards the line at a very oblique angle and then cut back with a zone some kind of zone scheme. Hasn't really functioned very well. So, what Steve Sarkeesian's done, he's pounding the edges with, you know, behind the uh, passes behind the line of scrimmage whether it's just quick throws or pop passes. The pop pass, even though it goes down as a pass, is essentially an extended run. And the thing that I've really noticed that I get excited about is at least two or three times a game, Sarkeesian specifically schemes for a play to be open. And I'll give you two examples of it. And I hope fans will go back, either remember what I'm talking about or take a look at what I'm talking about. Uh, In the Arkansas game, There was a third down. It was like a third and 11 or a third and 12. And Henry Ruggs, I believe, caught the ball on a drag route. Just a very shallow toss. But if you notice, there wasn't anybody around him for like 12 yards, which is insane going in. Like they were on the Arkansas 30 when this pass was completed. The reason that happened was Jerry Judy ran behind it and essentially cleared it out you know, had his defender and he pulled the safety towards him, giving Henry Ruggs all this space, ended up getting to be a first down. That's the sort of stuff Sarkeesian's doing. The first time that I really, really noticed, it was actually against the Texas A&M Aggies, where uh, I believe either Jerry Judy or Jalen Waddell came in motion going in, and it was on a touchdown pass. By going in motion, Texas A&M passed off responsibility to to a different safety. That safety dropped down to keep on that receiver that came in motion, which took the safety off that side of the field. The uh, wide receiver in question, it was either Devontae Smith or Henry Ruggs, would go on to catch a touchdown pass in a one-on-one situation. Now, yes, that was still a great play on the wide receiver's part, but it was also scheme that let him get that one-on-one. So I really think that Steve Sarkeesian – has done a great job manipulating personnel in a way that we haven't seen since Lane Kiffin. Uh, Brian Dayball was very much so wedded to a much more pro-style offense and in some ways kind of balked at the inability of the offense to go down the field. Uh, Mike Loxley was kind of in the same boat. I don't want to be extremely critical of him because he had a fantastic offense last year, but... I look at Sarkeesian as a step forward and being able to deploy his pieces in ways that not only allow first-round draft picks at wide receiver and quarterback to make big plays, but some of those big plays are not just first-round draft picks doing first-round draft pick things. It's the scheme supporting the first-round draft picks doing first-round draft pick things. And that's been really awesome. And should Alabama continue that, And there's no reason to think they won't because Mac Jones and crew were able to do some very similar things to what Tua and crew were able to do throughout the year. Alabama will be competitive against absolutely everybody. And, and that ability from Sarkeesian is one of the reasons that, you know, obviously it's 10 days out and injuries can happen and things will change, but I am extremely confident that Alabama is going to win And I think they're going to cover against this LSU team in about 10 days, Drew.
0: Well, I can already tell you that LSU still isn't very smart. And it goes back to what William said about uh, Ed Ogeron. And and Ed's done some good things at LSU. They've won some games. But he still doesn't have control of his team. Because why else would he let Justin Jefferson say what he said? I mean, are you crazy? You haven't beaten Alabama since you were 7 or 8 years old. OK, and that's Justin Jefferson, just for example. I mean, it's been something like that. I mean, he was not even he was in elementary school uh, and and he gets out here. I mean, not even 24 hours after their ball game, after they beat Auburn and says, we're coming for their heads. We're going to dominate. We owe them. And I just don't get it. You don't poke the bear. And certainly Alabama it, it, Saban has gotten through to his players. You don't see that bulletin board-type material. I, was, I just shake my head when I see stuff like that. And I will say, Justin Jefferson is a great player. He's got 55 catches, 819 yards, nine touchdowns. He had a good game against Alabama last year. His brother, he's still probably bitter. His brother is Jordan Jefferson, who got his ass whipped in the rematch in that national championship game. But I just don't get it when these kids fly off at the mouth. It's almost like they're trying to talk themselves into something. And to me, they tried to do it last year. Well, two has never been to Tiger State. It's such an electric environment. We're going to finally get them. And then they, they worked themselves up into a frenzy, and then they got embarrassed. And it goes back to also what Thomas just said, he, how he thinks Alabama's going to cover. But, William, I just sort of shake my head when I see something like that out of Justin Jefferson because Alabama's going to be motivated enough. They always get up for LSU. But when you're coming into somebody's house and you hadn't beat them for a long time, I don't think you should bulletin board material stuff like that.
2: Well, you know, I, I think you, you've already touched on it. I think that's a byproduct of the culture of your program. I mean, you, you when you've, you know, been on such a dry spell like LSU has been, um, you know, with in, in regards to playing Alabama. I mean, you've got to start manufacturing gimmicks. Um, to get your players to buy in and believe. But that, that all goes out the window a couple minutes after the ball snap next Saturday. Uh, I, mean, I, I really appreciate Thomas, you know, pointing out um, just just how brilliant Sarkeesian has been all season long. I mean, you, you don't see articles being written about it. Um, you know, he's not going to give you the the flashy sound bites that, that Lane Kiffin did when he was here. He's, he's a more, you know, quiet, mild-mannered guy. Um, you, you know, just to, that's how his personality is, but you know, all great play callers, you know, are, are, are and I was fortunate enough to, to have one year um, at Alabama, my freshman year under one and Homer Smith, but all the great play callers that I've ever been exposed to, um, are always setting plays up down the road with what you see them calling, you know, on, on the current snap. And uh, you know certainly you know sarkeesian has got a, a great toy box to work with, but you know I, I just think it's a byproduct of um, you know it was it was a very calculated and well thought out decision by Nick Saban to bring him back. Um, he's been on the short list prior, including um, when Nick Saban was initially hired for the OC job. Um, you know, and, and then Lane Kiffin, um, you know, kind of learned his little niche from, from Sarkeesian back in their, their USC days. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think the, um, the, the urban legend has always been that, you know, Kiffin was the better play caller, but Sarkeesian was the better quarterback developer, but, you know, he, he's a pretty snazzy play caller himself. And, you know, I think a lot of Alabama fans, you know, still have the, the, the ghost, um, you know, burn into their soul after that Clemson game, but, you know, he was thrust into a tough position Um, you know, having to, you know, come up with that plan with, with very little time to work with. And, uh, you know, man, I, you just got to kind of take your hat off to the guy, you know, his head coaching career imploded His, you know, his family was split up, he got divorced and, uh, you know, that's, that's what, you know, not just football, but that's what life's all about, man. The guy's, you know, earned his respect back. He's in the process of, uh, rebuilding his reputation. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about Coach Saban is he's willing to, not just with his players, but on a professional level with people that work for him. Um, You know, you've seen him rehire multiple coaches before that have been here and left and wanted to come back, you know, from from Lance Thompson to Jeremy Pruitt. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, And I think that just kind of goes to show you the kind of person that he is. And and I think Sarkeesian has proven – uh, what a brilliant decision it was for Coach Saban to give him another chance and bring him back. I think the uh, Atlanta Falcons are wishing he was still over there pulling the trigger for their offense.
0: Well, I don't think he's. I think Sar's glad he's not in Atlanta, yeah. right? What a train wreck that is. Trust me, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a Falcons fan. They're one and seven. Oh, I think Arthur Blank could even fire Dan Quinn over the bye week. I mean, I know he's going to look at everything. They're just, they're awful and they're talented, but they just. You know, Dan Quinn took over the defense. He's a defensive guy. They haven't responded. And then uh, they brought in Dirk Cutter, and the offense has gone nowhere. And I've tried to tell a few people that still criticize Sark in Atlanta. The first year wasn't great, but the second year, I know they didn't go to the playoffs, but they finished in the top six or seven in offense in the NFL. So it wasn't the offense's problem. And now you see their offense isn't nearly as good without him. So criticizing Sark is just ignorant. If you are criticizing Steve Starkeesian – you are stupid. You don't know anything about football, and you need to stop watching it. Of course, there'll be people if they don't beat LSU that'll say he never should have been hired, and they'll rip him. But I think they're going to beat LSU. He's going to continue, uh, you know, his ascent back up the coaching ladder, and he'll get another head coaching job in college, which I think is where he fits sooner rather than later. I think he'll obviously. I think he's going to be in Tuscaloosa another year. Uh, but uh, certainly, and he, he was, and he needs to get full credit for Bryce Young because Alabama was not going to get Bryce Young if he hadn't come in and, uh, is a, on the coaching staff. He had the connection there, uh, and he helped keep Tua committed uh, when Lane Kiffin went AWOL. And so it ended up, of course, getting the Florida Atlantic job. But again, Steve Sarkeesian has done a great job. Uh, he should be up for the Royals Award, no question about it. Uh, but uh, I do think you know he will stay in Tuscaloosa a little while longer before getting a head coaching job, but certainly uh, that will be in his near future. And another coach, William, that I've been impressed with that got criticism, and this this, this is another feather in the cap to me of Steve Sarkeesian, is he wanted Kyle Flood to come with him from Atlanta. The offensive line, we've already talked about it. You said it was improving, but I thought it, it says a lot as when you have guys go down, like an Evan Neal, who's been a freshman All-American, and yet you plug in Emile Echior, and as I know you've been quoted you know, we I've seen your, you know write it uh, on some social media that you believe Echior played as good as Evan Neal and there was no drop-off at all.
2: No, no. I mean, uh, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think there's a lot of guys, you know, standing over there on the sideline um, that that could come in and play at a high level at offensive guard for this team, and, and is certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, again, you know, there was a lot of people that were critical, like you said, critical of the Kyle Flood hire. And, uh, you know, just because somebody doesn't make it as a head coach, you know, if, if, if things don't work out for Lane Kiffin, um, you know, down at uh, – um, hell, is he at Atlantic or International? I can never – uh,
0: FAU, straight. FAU, yeah.
2: Okay, Atlantic. Do, do, do you not think he's going to have uh, people blowing his phone up to come be their OC? Um, you know, they'll, they'll, he'll have 100 phone calls at the NFL and college level, um, you know, 24 hours after, you know, his departure is announced. So, you know, just because somebody doesn't make it at the head coaching level doesn't mean they're not good at what they do. Um, you know, we've seen it over and over again with, with a lot of different coaches. So, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I'm not saying Sarke- Sarkeesian, actually was successful as, his, his, you know, his personal life got the better of him. But, um, you know, I, I just think they've got, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm on offense. You've got all those great players, um, you know, at, at every level of that offense except tight end like we've already touched on. Um, God, I can only imagine what this offense would look like if Irv Smith had come back. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that this this offense is, is just a powder keg and you can do so many different things with it. Um, you know, like Thomas talked about, you know, you take a – a wrong step or the wrong angle or the wrong drop is a linebacker or a DB and it's over with. I mean, that that is a tough, tough thing, um, you know, to ask an athlete to do is, you know, to trust your eyes, trust what you're seeing. And then, you know, you try and do that and you, you hesitate, you take the wrong step and, you know, these guys are by you and it's over with. And, uh, you know, they've got some special players on that offensive line as well. And, I mean, it's just, you know, Najee and, and uh, you know, Brian Robinson are, are, you know, gotten better each week. You know, both of them are playing with a lot of confidence. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, an embarrassment of riches, um, you know, if you want to use that cliche um, with what the you know the, the staff has to work with. But you've got some really talented people, in my opinion, that are, that are making the calls on what to do what when.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. I think uh, Alabama offensively has made a lot of progress. Defensively, I think they've gotten better in the last few weeks. We've seen what Terrell Lewis did. He didn't get any sacks last week, but he had six pressures, three tackles, uh, was in the backfield all night long. You already talked about uh, Anthony Jennings, and he did get the first, you know, uh, that, that, that tip ball interception. It was a a great play on Anthony's part. I, I'm i going to be honest, when I saw the play, I, I didn't think he was going to be able to scoop it, but he did, and they reviewed it, and uh, it stood up. So that was a big play in the game. Christian Harris had the fumble return on the snap uh, that was botched by Arkansas. Uh, but uh, Christian, I think he's been getting better. Shane Lee, I mean, I know Shane Lee isn't, a, isn't pretty at times, and he gets a lot of criticism from fans, but guess what? I mean, I just am sitting here looking at the stats, and guess who led Alabama in tackles? Uh, against Arkansas, and that would be Shane Lee. He had six tackles and a sack uh, and two tackles for loss, and yet people are criticizing him, saying he's too slow. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I understand that he's a true freshman, uh, and, he, and he he's going to make mistakes, but you got to give the kid some credit. He's also played very well for a young kid that uh, enrolled early and has not been out of high school, you know, a full year. So, And Jordan Battle is another guy that had another game, a nice game with three tackles. He continues to play. More and more as well. I mean, Alabama—they just playing so many freshmen uh, that you, you know they're going to be some rough, rough patches on defense. But I'm really anxious to see this defense go up against Joe Burrow. William, I think Burrow is obviously improved. He's in an offense that uh, is a better fit to his skill set. But it still mystifies me that NFL scouts rank him above Tua Tungavailoa right now. Some of them, anyway. Uh, the guys that I trust don't. They think he's a first-round pick. But they just think Tua is elite, though. I just am surprised that. People have such a high opinion, and I like Burrow. I think he's a competitor. I think he's got a lot of moxie, but I just I don't I don't buy the fact that he's the the uh, pure passer that Tua Tonga Valoa is.
2: Yeah, and I'll get to that in a minute. But going back to your comments on Shane Lee, I mean, I, I don't have a problem. You know, if somebody can, you know, discuss what Shane Lee does well and and some things that he may never be able to do well. I mean, he, he's he's not. C.J. Mosley, I mean, he's not somebody that I don't think is ever going to be an elite linebacker in space or in coverage. That's just not, you know, what he's good at. Uh, But, you know, to to just say that the guy's not any good is is bullshit. I mean, uh, I love the way that he plays. He's a high effort, high motor guy. You know, he'll light your ass up when he strikes you. Um, You know, if this was 20 years ago, um, you know, he'd be a complete linebacker. But, you know, right now he might be, you know, not a a three down guy. um, And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's a lot of specialization and and situational. You know, you see the way, uh, um, you know, Alabama's utilized that rabbit third down package since they've been in there. And they brought guys in that aren't necessarily the best run defenders, but they can rush the quarterback. So. You know, just because he struggles in certain aspects of playing linebacker doesn't mean he's not a good player. And like you said, for a true freshman, uh, you know, to be able to go out there and and you know lead the team in tackles versus a albeit a bad SEC football team, um, you know, still tells you what kind of football player he is. But I, I personally really like the kid. I mean, I, I liked it, the way he plays. I like the the physical, um, the physicality that he brings to the defense and, and for him to be able to go out there and perform the way that he's performing, you know, as an 18 year old true freshman and even more so with Harris, because he's got a lot less experience uh, playing the position. And I do think he has a chance to be a special three down linebacker um, once he gets a little bit more experience under his belts, but you, you saw, um You know, the difference between the two players, once Harris scooped that fumbled snap up like you were talking about and took off, I mean, the guy's got elite speed and is good in space. But, you know, I I just don't get the whole thing of, you know, these kids are going out there and giving it everything that they have. I can promise you nobody goes out there that starts um, and and goes out there and tries to make mistakes and tries to do a bad job or tries to make penalties. They're, They're giving it their all for the team that you're supposed to be you know, enthusiastically cheering for and, 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 you know, showing up every Saturday either in person or on TV with a positive attitude about. So that, that, that's always kind of bugged me about, you know, the armchair quarterbacks of the world. Um, You know, half the time if you sat down and put some film on, they couldn't even tell you what the hell's going on. So um, I've learned that lesson over and over again over the years, but, you know, you know, but go back to your Joe Burrow point, Drew, I mean, I would want to see, if I was an NFL owner or a GM, I would want to see um, more than just one good year um, fr- from somebody that I was wanting to spend that kind of money on. And, you know, maybe last year wasn't Joe Burrow's fault. Maybe that's what he was asked to be, was just a game manager because that's what he was last year. Um, you know, certainly since they've you know changed the offense and opened it up, he's he's performed at a very high level. I will say, he does bring some, um, you know, unique and tangibles to the table with his size and his athleticism, and I do think he's got a, you know, a great competitive streak within, within him as a player. And he's done, he's done some really nice things this year. Um, but, you know, all the people that wanted to give him the Heisman Trophy, I think you saw him look a little bit more human versus Auburn. Um you know, they, they did some things that I thought, you know, took him out of his game. They closed some passing lanes. They put pressure on him in a unique way, especially before that, that defensive line got gassed. But, you know, I, I think this is going to be a real interesting situation, um, you know, w- when it comes down to draft time where, you know, Tua Burrow and, um, you know, the quarterback, uh, uh, it's not A Bear, but whatever his last name is up there at Oregon. Playing Justin Herbert, yeah.
0: Yeah, it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. Herbert,
2: yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's going to be an interesting decision um, because I think they've all got different things that they bring to the table. Um, but you got to project that on how it translates to the next level at the NFL level, not what they've done so much at the college level because it's two totally different games. So we'll see how all that shakes out. I think it's still to be determined, in my opinion, on which one's going to go first. We'll have to wait and see how the rest of the season plays out because – you know, each one of them has pluses and minuses.
0: Well, and I, I thought Mario, he got a big win last second. I listened to the end of it against Washington State, 37-35. They had not beaten the Cougars in four years. And uh, he he I, I didn't think he did a very good job finishing the Auburn game as far as coaching it and managing it. But since that time, his team's played very well. I, they look like they're easily the, the class of the Pac-12 and, and the best team on the West Coast. Uh, your thoughts on a guy I know you had a good relationship with. You thought a lot of it, Alabama. I, I I, I, thought a lot of him as well, especially as a recruiter in person. I think he's a really good man, but he's doing a nice job at Oregon and quietly putting together a really solid program over there. And I know you're going to love this. I don't know if you saw this on, I know you don't get on Twitter a lot, William, but to, to look at it, but uh, he told stadium that his favorite band is guns and roses. So I know you're going to like that as well. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't expect anything less from from Mario. That's just what his you know his personality is, um, you know, and, and he doesn't try and pretend to be anything other than what he is. And I think that's why he comes across to recruits and parents as being so genuine and down to earth. Is you know, there's no false pretenses with him. He doesn't, and I think that's why he relates to so many different. Um, you know, families from from you know different cultures and this, different socioeconomic backgrounds. is you know he he kind of came from a humble background himself. and um, you know his, his wife comes from a Cuban immigrant family. and and so you know he's he's experienced all that stuff. He's fluent in Spanish. And uh, you know he, he can go into anywhere any living room, anywhere in this country and maybe some other countries as well, and, and uh, he's he's going to win you over real quick. But, you know, until they get that mess straightened out at USC, and I think that's a, a big mess to get straightened out, I mean, he's going to have his way with the Pac-12, especially with a few more recruiting classes. You know, the, the one thing that, you know, I, I think, um, you know, could maybe prevent him from getting to – you know the next level. Certainly, I think at this stage in the game, you've got to say he's probably got him on track to being a college football playoff contender. But I think he might have some 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 rough roads ahead of him once he gets to to December. Um, you know, at that level, because I you know I, I just question whether or not he's got the big people, um, especially along the offensive line, to to compete at that next level. Um, that's a tough place to recruit to. Obviously, he's gonna dip down into the southeast especially into Florida and leverage his relationships there I mean you know when you start talking about the facilities and the Phil Knight factor um you know he, he's got a very nice little job out there and and uh you know he's done a good job he's brought in a lot of his own people and um you know they, they've got a real enthusiastic you know Scott Cochran clone with a lot more hair um you know as their strength and conditioning coach I think plays a big part in you know, the recruiting effort, just like Scott does at Alabama. And, uh, you you know, they've got every possible resource at their disposal. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to have his way out west for, you know, as long as he wants to stay there. It's just once he gets to that point, we'll we'll have to wait and see just how patient. I would imagine they'll be very patient with him because Oregon's not a perennial college football playoff program and they never have been. Um, You know, I know they had that you know, failed national championship appearance that one year um, versus Auburn and Kim Newton. But um, you know, I think he's got that program on the right track and, you know, he's put together a couple of nice recruiting classes. I just think it's going to, he's going to have to put a premium on, you know, the, the guys that he knows the most about on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And uh, that's going to be the determining factor. I mean, he's got a good little running back right now. Obviously he's got a first round draft pick at the quarterback position and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how he's recruited, um, you know, past uh, Herbert at that position. But, you know, I, I think he's got, you know, a bright future, um, you know, in the coaching profession. And, and uh, you know, if he uh, takes Oregon to that next level, um, you know, I, I'd say at this stage you've got to put him on that short list as a candidate to be Nick Saban's replacement, which I'd be all for.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he keeps getting better. And, I mean, and he's still really – in the, in his uh, you know, early days as a head coach. I mean, he was at FIU, but he's a, this is a Power 5 level. And certainly he would like to have that Stanford game back last year and then this Auburn game. But uh, they're starting to build something over there. And, you know, there's going to be Boy, a lot there,
2: of – There's another program that's hit the skids in the past. Yeah, well,
0: there Stanford. you go. Yeah, David Shaw, yeah. But – and by the way, I just – I found out how arrogant David Shaw is in my day now that I've had enough media time and gotten to cover NFL drafts and stuff like that. He's a peckerhead. Smartest, smartest guy in the room, isn't he? Yeah, just ask him. But anyway, he's been getting his ass beat a lot. But uh, like I say, uh, but Mario is getting better. He did a really good job at FIU building that program from scratch. And, I mean, hopefully he's going to continue to improve on the Power 5 level. And like you said, I think he probably will be on the short list. And certainly, uh, you know, I would uh, uh, support him. And I know Dabo will get the first call, but that's going to be a difficult move. And if that doesn't happen – and I definitely think Mario would be someone who would jump at the chance uh, to be at a place like Alabama with his ties to Florida and his family's ties to Atlanta and in the southeast and coming back down south I think would be appealing to him. But I was going to bring Thomas back into the conversation. Thomas, I know we just talked about the defense a little bit, but you wanted to delve inside the numbers that are maybe a little misleading just, and, and to, to kind of prove that this unit's gotten better.
1: So uh, get out your pocket protectors, listeners, and get ready to do some math with me. So uh, if you if you fell asleep in math class in high school, you can do that again. But I, I want to introduce a concept uh, that we use a lot in some advanced statistical models called garbage time. Uh, the hallmark of garbage time is in the S&P Plus models that Bill Connolly now publishes for ESPN. And garbage time is a scale where the model doesn't care what you do beyond a certain point differential. It's something like in the mid-40s in the first quarter, in the mid-30s in the second quarter, and eventually it gets down to 28 points or four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So you essentially, those statistics don't matter because the game is functionally over. Now, yes, Nick Saban is play to the whistle, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. And I think that's how he has to do it. But I'm not constrained by that. So I choose not to. And that is to say that a lot of the stuff that has been discussed on this program and others are momentary lapses, lapses where long drives get given up, particularly in the second half. And when you consider garbage time. Most of those long drives in the second half actually don't matter. And the premise, something I've been stumping for a lot, is that when the game has been close, Alabama's defense has been elite. And if you look at the S&P+, again, referencing that statistical model, Alabama is number two in S&P+, and they have a top 10 defense. Actually, I believe they have a higher rated defense than Auburn right now, which should give you an idea of where Alabama is. The only team ahead of Alabama is Ohio State, and I think Ohio State's been the best team in the country, and it's not been particularly close thus far. But I want to explain why and one of the key differences between Alabama and Ohio State and where the statistical weirdness comes in. A lot of what Alabama has is moments where if you think about games it's either a three or a four and out or it's like a 12 play drive because alabama will struggle to get off the field on third down whether it's giving up a pass play or first down by penalty or or whatever you know pick your grab bag reason of the day well it gets exacerbated because of something that doesn't that gets kind of nibbled around and talked about some particularly when it comes to injuries but the exacerbation is Alabama or truly elite defenses are not just your starting 11 they're more like your starting 18 because you want to have a second group of defenders that come in and there's not a big drop-off you know we just mentioned it talking about the offensive line particularly the guard positions where there's not a lot of drop-off should an Evan Neal get hurt well Alabama's second line guys particularly along the fronts are a solid step back and one of the things that Alabama's coaching staff needs to work on, and it might just happen through physical maturity because there's so many young pieces, is kind of getting that group, call it that front 14, you know, front seven, their backups, to play it near the same level and specifically to get that back, the second team to kind of step up. What Alabama's defense does right now is they either, their starters either absolutely destroy you, you know, you're three and out, or they give up a long drive. If you compare that to what Ohio State does, Ohio State destroys you with their starters. You know, Chase Young is, is is an awesome, awesome player that causes all kinds of havoc. But, you know, Terrell Lewis is not that much different than Chase Young. It's just that Ohio State will then hit you with the next wave of guys. Very similar to what Alabama did with the A'shaun Robinson, Jaren Reed, John Allen group of defenders, where I can remember Todd McShay saying, you know, eight of the 11 guys that play significant snaps are going to be first or second round draft picks. And that actually was borne out in those drafts as those those players decided to join the NFL. So looking at Alabama, particularly their first group, it's very, very good, I would say elite. The thing that I want to see over the next 10 days is how the entire group takes a step forward. Because even the statistical models that, rely much more on like yards per play and it doesn't account for who's playing where or garbage time they have this weird expansion number particularly when it comes to percentages of yards given up for the defensive front but a lot of that is the second team guys so again just to go back over what I'm talking about it's not that Alabama's defense has been bad. In fact, I think at the front, the first, the starting 11 has been the definition of elite. It's that when you start to get Alabama's defense slightly on its heels, the rotational players haven't stepped up enough to shut a team down because you just can't deploy the same 11 defenders in nickel or, you know, do a personnel shift between linebackers and defensive backs and keep the same front four for 11 12 13 play drives very often that's going to tire them out and you want them to be at least somewhat fresh going towards the back half of the game so honestly for me we've talked about this but the Alabama defense statistically has kind of rounded into that form and we'll see how they do against LSU the LSU offense is far and away the best yards per play offense Alabama has played and that's going to cause some stress but should Alabama get some pressure from a Rayquan Davis, or this could be a Christian Barmore game where he kind of gets it to where he can one-gap penetrate and cause havoc in the center of that LSU offensive line, if Alabama is able to do that and there are personnel groupings that Alabama has at least started to show that they can, on a fairly consistent basis, it could end up being a long day for LSU. But again, Alabama's defense statistically doesn't look as good given some of the circumstances, but I would argue that it is actually elite, not up to the level of 2015-2016, but at least within spitting distance of those hallowed groups of football players that we still talk about with, you know, gusto to this day, Drew. Absolutely,
0: guys, and uh, I know I was just reading some of the notes, Nick Saban had his lone press college of the week, and He did laud Christian Barmore. He said he likes having him and Raekwon Davis on the field at the same time. I definitely think we'll see that some in the rabbit package uh, against LSU. Uh, Barmore will get a chance to showcase his talent, uh, no question about it. And uh, I think uh, that and and Alabama's going to have to get to Burrow some. But like William said, I think they'll also blitz. They'll try to change some things up. And then I think another thing that's going to come down to it is whichever defense plays best in the red zone, because both teams are going to move the ball. And so you're going to have to, you know, try to hold some, uh, some of these guys to three sometimes. Cole Anthony is gone. LSU struggled at kick or some too. But at least there's some uh, semblance of confidence. Bullivus was very good against Arkansas, but we've seen. He's almost kind of a game-to-game guy. But hopefully – because Will Reichert, I don't expect him back. As Coach Saban said tonight – very frustrating with this injury they're going to take their time bringing him back i mean i hope he's back but i don't count on it so i think joseph bolivas is going to handle kicking off and place kicking and as william already said ty p ryan who's been a revelation uh punter he, he i mean this this past week he didn't get like great hang time they were line drives but hell i mean he, he got good rolls and he averaged 47 yards a punt. that's all i care about i'm just an end result kind of dude and so hopefully they'll be able to keep stingley and and uh in, uh, you know, and in, in keep him contained uh, and do a good job of directional punting and, and, and not give LSU field position. Because I think uh, Waddle, if, uh, if LSU uh, you know, decides to punt to him, I, th- I definitely think he could be a next factor. We've, uh, we've seen him nearly take several to the house. And at one point in time, I think he was leading the nation in punt returns. He still may. And I know we'll delve more into that next week when we continue our preview of this game. But it's just some storylines to watch, some injuries to watch. Uh, and some hidden factors uh, that will continue to break down. But I'm looking forward to it, no question about it. It's going to be a huge game inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And uh, if Alabama's truly an elite football team, they've got a chance to take out LSU, who uh, want, wants nothing more than to beat Alabama. But I think Alabama, you know, I think they're still in LSU's head, and I'm going to be interested to see, uh, you know, what Steve Sarkeesian and, and and Pete Golding. And Pete Golding can calm a lot of people if his defense will perform. Uh, we'll see. I know William. Uh, you 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 had some intel on some things that he said as the coaches made their rounds this week. The Red Elephant Club. I, Carl Scott came to mind. I had a, a a commitment on a high school coaches show. I had to do, so I wasn't able to hear him. But I know uh, you had some uh, some people out uh, and about that that heard some things from Pete Golding. This is a huge game for for Coach Golding and this defensive staff.
2: Yeah, it is, and and you know I I, I think that. You know, if you look at it from a – you take the, the statistical analysis out of what Thomas said, which was phenomenal stuff. Um, you know, there, there's two things that – well, one of them they can control, but it, it's, it's a very difficult process to complete on an annual basis. But, you know, there, there's two things. Because I played on a team that, um, you know, had, I think, that 92 defense of the, the starting the, – the first two twenty two players on the first and second team I want to say 19 of them went on to play in the NFL um and you just don't see that happen very often but you know the the reason you don't see even a a program like Alabama be able to replicate that you know what you saw in 15 and 16 you know Pruitt was actually able to statistically get better in 17 even with all those departures but um that makes it so difficult is, is the three and out process that these, you know, kids are so focused on when they get to college. Um, you you know, that, that's a dynamic that the coaches can't control. And it's also one of the things that makes a program like Alabama so attractive is that that's someplace you can go do a three, be a three and done. And, and also too, I mean, you know, you're not going to be perfect every year in every recruiting cycle on a needs basis. You can try to be. Um, you know, Alabama took a, you know, took a big hit um, in their last two classes, arguably on paper anyway. Um, when you lose guys like an Anoma and an Alfano, all of a sudden, you know, those position classes that you signed at outside linebacker and defensive line don't sparkle quite as bright. And, you know, there was a, a two-year period uh, probably in 17 and 18 where, you know, they struggled to sign – um, elite defensive linemen and elite linebackers, both outside and inside. And so that's that's why you're seeing from a football perspective, that's why you're seeing this defense struggle just like the, the you know, the numbers that Thomas brought up. That's why you're not seeing them being able to do that. Um, they, they don't have um, at the current time, um, you know, 22 guys. They, they don't have a second 11, you um, you know, they can come in and, and there not be a drop off. And that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's every program struggles with that these days with, you know, the way these kids want to get a paycheck and get out of college. So, but man, that was some really, really sharp stuff that Thomas brought up. I, uh, I enjoyed his take on
0: that. Well, and then another good point Thomas made, uh, he sent me a message and, and nobody thought could see this last year before the season, but just think if Quinn and Williams were still in school, William, how good this defensive line would be because nobody oh, well, and,
2: and, yeah, and, and sure. also too i mean in, in alabama's you know last two seasons maybe three um yeah. you know that the injury bugs been a huge factor as well i mean when you lose your you're know, your starting two, uh you know outside linebackers last year and you know you're you're projected starting two inside linebackers this year i mean that that's going to you know Cause the numbers to go the wrong direction real, real easily for most people. So, um, but you know, it's just a that, that's something that I'm sure Nick Saban lays awake at night and struggles with. Is you know, man, I I, I recruit uh, you know on an annual basis. You know, telling these guys that if they're good enough to get on the field as true freshman, I'm going to play him, and he does that. Well, guess what? If they're good enough to get on the field as true freshman odds are they're probably good enough to be three and done, you know, um, you know, Marlon Humphrey was a guy that, um, you know, had to be redshirted because he wasn't big enough. You know, he was kind of hot and cold his second year and man, you know, he puts together that nice third year and bam, he's gone, you know, making $10 million. So it, it's just very difficult to manage. It's very difficult to project. You know, recruiting is a, a crap shoot in a lot of different ways. So, um, I'm sure that's something that, you know, especially being a, you know, a stats guy and wanting to dominate the opponent from a defensive standpoint the way Coach Saban does, I'm sure that's something he loses sleep over.
0: And I'm going to say this as we're wrapping it up tonight, and we appreciate everybody for listening to BAM's radio, we're going to have an even more, you know, in-depth look next week uh, about LSU. We'll have more intel from practice, the progress of Tua Tungvaluwa, what we think he can do to LSU, uh, certainly – uh, it's going to be a challenge, as we just got through talking about, for Alabama's defense, but it's one that, I, that they ought to relish. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people anointing Burrow, the Heisman winner, and saying that is going to shred Alabama, that they are not as good as Auburn defensively. And they haven't been, but Auburn has a, you know, a monstrosity of a defensive line. But Alabama can make their own statement. But we'll talk more about that next week. I wanted to bring up a little bit. I had a chance to cover Nate Oates in his first game at Alabama. It wasn't a real game, but it was a – I know a scrimmage and exhibition the day after Arkansas uh, I had a buddy drive me back up there and we covered that. Uh, and I'm telling you what, it's a different world. Everybody out there. I, I encourage everyone. If you can make it this coming Tuesday on November the 5th, please do so. Uh, it's their opener at home against Penn out of the Ivy league. If you want to see some exciting basketball, we were sold for years on Anthony Grant and then Avery Johnson and playing fast and, and this and that, both had their bright moments. But overall, when you look at their tenures, they did not play fast. Uh, Nate Oates is actually going to do it. And what he did against Georgia Tech, which is going to be a lower division team, you know, a middle-of-the-pack at best to lower half of the ACC program. But still, what they did in their exhibition game to win 93-65, and they didn't even shoot that well. They only shot 42% overall as a team, but they shot 17 of 37 from three. They forced 24 turnovers. They had 17 themselves, as so they got to clean that up. But they out they outscored them in the second half by 20. I believe it was 53 to 33, which is, was just an amazing uh, run in this in half number two for Alabama. And they, and they and again they they shot free throws well, 12 of 15. They shot the three well. Uh, Jaden Shackelford, the true freshman from California, had six threes. They've really worked in the weight room. You can see the guys being more defined. They're in better shape. They've definitely worked on skill development because, as I said, it wasn't just Shackelford. You had Kyra Lewis making threes. You had Herbert Jones making his only three. This is going to be a fun team to watch. They're undersized. They don't have a lot of, you know, uh, Galen Smith is going to be the center. You'll see, uh, you know, the the junior from uh, Pelham, uh, Alex Reese. He'll play a lot inside as well. And then the red shirt freshman, Javion Davis. Uh, he had he had a couple of bright moments, but they're going to be a, a, a perimeter-oriented team that plays fast. And Coach Oates was saying they're still not in great shape. Got to get in better shape. Got to cut harder. Got to run harder. And where they can spot up, you know, in 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 a more efficient manner. He even talked about it. And he said, "Look, we we we're going to play faster." And they scored 93 against Georgia Tech. So I'm just telling you, uh, for the I think Alabama's finally got it right with Nate Oates as basketball coach. I love Davy Johnson, man. Great person. Uh, But I just don't think he understood how to build a college basketball program. He had too much of an NBA mentality. Nate Oates understands the pro game, but he he builds college programs. And I think that's what he's going to do at Alabama. It was unbelievable watching them compete. I saw more diving on the floor in one game than I saw in three years, the last three years under Avery. The bench was fully invested. John Petty had 15. He got off to a slow start shooting in the first half, but he finally looked like the John Petty. The, with the play, he played with energy and great body language that I saw at May Jemison High School. He really had fun. Uh, I just think it's going to be a fun first year under Nate Oates, and I encourage the Bama Nation to get out there. They had two really good recruits uh, in the 2020 class visit this past weekend, uh, Deion Ambrose and Isaiah Jackson. I think they got a really good shot at Jackson, who's a five-star from Michigan, who they have a lot of – uh, connections to his father, and they—they're waiting on Damari or Damari Burnett uh, from the West Coast, who's originally from the Midwest and around Michigan, also that has connection to OHS. He's a five-star guard. If they get those two kids, with who they would have returning next year, even if Kyra Lewis, as expected, turns pro and he had 20 points, seven rebounds, seven assists in his first game against Georgia Tech, almost a triple double. If he's a first-round pick, then he's probably going to leave, but. They're going to have a very talented roster even in year two with what they're bringing back. And it's just going to keep getting better. And I know everybody's been excited for Anthony Grant and that fizzled and in Avery. But I really think they finally hit a home run with Nate Oates and really excited. And uh, I, I know everybody probably saw it on social media when they had their tip off on uh, the tie tip off on the 18th. He wore Wimp Sanderson's jacket, which I thought was a really nice touch. Uh, he's gotten to be really qu- close with the Sanderson family who really, as William was during that era, that's his playing days. So he saw a lot of great Alabama basketball. I really think there's going to be some unbelievable hoops going on inside uh, Coleman Coliseum as well. So please come out on November the 5th. And again, as, a, as we said, we, it was, uh, they, they were, Jaden shackleford leg with 21, Kyra Lewis with 20, John Petty with 15. Uh, it was just a, a balanced score sheet, and I, I think it's going to be some fun Basketball as they they get cranked up this next week as well before LSU comes to town for another reckoning with Alabama. But I hope everyone enjoyed this edition of Bams Radio. We always enjoy bringing it to you. We appreciate all the support and the listeners. Thomas Watts does an outstanding job each and every week putting this together uh, and recording it for us. William has you know unbelievable knowledge and insight into Alabama football, and I try to bring my opinions as well. We appreciate all the support. But good night, everybody. We'll come to you next week to preview the game of the century. I'm going to say part three since Alabama, you know, beat their ass in the rematch 21 to nothing. We're going to call that a game of the century because Alabama won a national championship, but we look forward to previewing and continuing to break that game down as the one and two teams get a chance to hook up inside Bryant Denny stadium yet again uh, on Saturday, November the Then we will also talk about some more Alabama basketball. So we should have next Wednesday, I will be covering Alabama on Tuesday, so I'll have some insight from their season opener against Penn. But everybody will be coming to you then next Wednesday to record another edition of BAM's Radio. And for everybody uh, that's, uh, that, that listens, we appreciate it once again. And good night, everyone. For Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger, good night and roll tide.